God has used moms uh, to fulfill his purpose throughout all of history. And we're going to specifically look at um, Mary today, which is a little bit complicated for Protestants. We don't talk about Mary that much. Um, but we're going we're to talk about Mary. And the fact that Jesus, God, came to this earth and his plan was fulfilled through motherhood. And so today we're going to celebrate the fact that God uses moms to fulfill his purpose. Is that okay? Can we stack hands on that? I'm not telling you to suppress your feelings, um, emotions, hardship, anything like that. I want you to celebrate with me the fact that God uses moms. He always has and he always will um, throughout this world. So I want to do that. Um, I'm going to first read the passages that we're going to be um, looking at. We're going to be in Luke 1, verses 39 through uh, 56. So join with me as I read this. It says this, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, as we enter into your word today, I pray that um, our ears would be tuned to listen to your Holy Spirit speaking. God, I pray that um, whatever healing needs to happen today, that we would, we would listen to your graciousness and your mercy that extends from generation to generation, uh, that we would accept that mercy wherever we're at, uh, that we would embrace fully the fact that, Jesus, you are good, that you are present, and that you are constantly pursuing us. God, I pray that um, my words would be meaningless unless they're from you. God, so if there's something that needs to be said, Lord, I, I pray that you say it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I, I want to first um, say something. I, I was praying through this and reading last night. Um, and man, I, I was reading through the whole story. So before this, right, there's an interesting passage. This, this story is kind of juxtaposed. It, it's put in between um, Zechariah and his disobedience for the Lord. Okay? Um, and it's interesting. So Zechariah was a priest. It's Elizabeth's husband. 
All right, and so he, it's his day to go into the temple. This is in um, 26 through like 30-something. Um, and, and he goes into the temple, and he sees a vision, right, of God. And it's, it's this grand, incredible vision. Um, and his response is interesting. He doesn't believe that God can do what he says he's going to do. And so the angel looks at Zechariah, and he says, I'm going to do it. Um, you don't know who you are. I stand before the presence of God every single day. Like, God's going to do this. And he says, I'm going to shut your mouth. And so Zechariah can no longer speak. And he can't speak until Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. Okay? But I know there's some children in the room. Imagine this. All right? You're Zechariah. You can't speak. And you've got to go home to Elizabeth, your wife, and somehow explain to her that we're going to have a baby, even though we're really old, and God's going to fulfill his plan. Could you imagine the conversation of explaining to your old wife, as you were also old, they can no longer have children by biological means. Um, imagine trying to speak to your wife while you can't speak, that somehow God is going to do something and she's going to get pregnant. <laughs> Could you imagine this? Like, you're old, she's old, you can no longer speak, all right? This gets awkward really quick. Like, I don't know about you all, but words are kind of important when you kind of get into that phase of life, and it's like, can you write her a note? <laughs> I don't know what they did, but I was just reading through that, and I'm like, I would not want to be Zachariah. That message <laughs> in some of those days would probably be pretty awkward. Um, and I'm just thinking through this, but the, the story of Elizabeth um, and the awkwardness of all of that, I won't go into too much detail. Um, if you're a kid, go ask your parents. Um, <laughs> but it's put in between Zechariah, a priest, right? The one who's supposed to understand all of God's plan. He doesn't get it. He doesn't believe. And so then we get Elizabeth, his wife, and she believes. And then we get Mary, a teenage girl, and she believes. And it doesn't go until um, John the Baptist is born that we get Zachariah's song um, in verse 67. So I just I want you to think about that. The story is put in between um, two stories about Zechariah, the priest, who's supposed to be understanding God's will, right? Like he's, he's the dude who's got it all figured out. He's studied scripture his whole life. Um, he's old at this point. He's supposed to be wise. Yet two women are the ones who are understanding God's plan for salvation more than a priest. Women are important. Women are really important. And so it says this. I'm going to jump to verse um, 39, if you want to read with me. It says this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I love this. The moment Mary walks in, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And in a loud voice, she exclaims, blessed are you among women. This is like a prophetic utterance from God. She is acknowledging that God is doing something incredible, not only in her life, but also in the life of Mary. And why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And I love this, right? So Mary, she's got this understanding from an angel that has appeared and is telling her, hey, I'm going to do something through your teenage pregnancy. And what is Mary's response? It's not, this is awkward and weird. She's excited. I mean, I remember holding um, Barrett for the first time, 
my, my oldest son, it was exciting. I remember seeing his, his hands and his feet moved in, in Bree's womb as she was you know, pregnant, and that was weird. And I'm like, I don't like that. There's an elbow. <laughs> um, but that was exciting. Here's the thing. Um, in this time, it would be really hard to be excited. She wasn't actually married. She could probably be stoned to death if, people, if the wrong people found out. Yet Mary chose to believe in God. She actively chose to have faith that God was doing something incredible. And so she's excited. She's like, man, God's doing something. And some, for some reason, I get to be a part of this. Like, I don't know why, but God chose me. And so what is Mary's response? She gets up and she hurries to her aunt, Elizabeth. I love that. And Elizabeth is also pregnant. I know pregnancy can be difficult. Motherhood can be difficult. But man, I'm just thinking about Mary's response to being a part of God's plan. It's excitement. It's an overfilling joy. It's, oh my gosh, I got to do something now. I got I to gotta go and tell somebody about this. And so her first response is, I'm going to get up and run to the one person I know who might embrace me. As soon as she walks into the room, this incredible thing, the baby literally in Elizabeth, and then she's filled with the Holy Spirit. What is going to happen to Mary? God chooses random, seemingly unimportant women to begin to announce, proclaim that the Messiah is here. Like that, that's incredible to me. That's shocking. And if you think about it, at the end of the gospel, who, who are the people that begin to announce that Jesus is actually raised from the dead? It's women. It's fascinating to think about over and over how God uses seemingly unimportant or by our world standards, invalid witnesses to proclaim his gospel that Jesus has actually come to take our sins away. God chooses to use a teenage girl and a really old woman. <laughs> Doesn't make sense to me, but by God's standard, this is his plan. And I love this. Elizabeth looks at, Blair, at Mary and she says this. <clears throat> she says, blessed is she who has believed. Like her husband didn't believe and he's sitting there mute. Like I'm sure that was awkward. Mary's like, hey, how's it going? He's got no response because he can't speak. <laughs> um, but Mary, right, she, she looked at the angel and she said, I believe that you're going to do this. Her response was faithfulness to God's plan. And Elizabeth looks at her and says, blessed is this little teenage girl. She believes that God can do incredible things through almost unimportant people. It's, it's amazing. And so I want to ask you this question. Women who are in this room, mothers, women, are you worth celebrating today? Like in an, in an honest, real, when you look at yourself in the mirror, are you worth celebrating today? I know that's a tough question. My wife struggles with that question. She wakes up and has those thoughts of, am I worth celebrating today? I don't feel like a great mom. And I know Bryce invited me up here to, to preach because I know everything about Mother's Day. I'm a you know, male who's got it all figured out, right? <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, that, that's a tough question that my wife and I, we've wrestled with. Is she worth celebrating? When, when times are really difficult in marriage, is she worth celebrating? 
when we don't feel like we're parenting the best? Is she worth celebrating? And I think by this world's standards, maybe not. But by God's standards, you are. No matter, no matter how well of a parent you've, you've been, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how horrible you think you are when you look in the mirror, I want you to know that God doesn't look at us the same way that we look at ourselves. And I'm so thankful for that. Like a teenage girl who's not married, she, she should have been stoned to death if anyone would have found out. Luckily, Joseph was kind of this righteous, nice guy, and he kind of keeps it secret. But like God chooses to look at that and say, no, this is good. I'm going to do something incredible here. All of church is good. All God's people look at this for generations and say that this girl is blessed. Why? Because she believed. She believed. And so if you feel like um, you're a mom today who's, who's possibly failed, man, I, there are times where I, I walk away from my son or my daughter, Brielle, after um, maybe punishing them. And I think to myself, I'm so glad that God doesn't treat me like that. <laughs> and I, I, I do feel like, to handle that the right way? But here's the important thing. Regardless of if we do or not, I mean, there, there is the idea that we are created to give God praise and that our actions proclaim his holiness, and yes, that is true, but my identity is not rooted in my fatherhood, and I want you to know that your identity is not rooted in your ability to be a good mom, or your ability to be a good woman, or your ability to be a good son or daughter. It's your ability to trust that God gives you an incredible identity that's rooted in him based off of what he's done on the cross. And if we can stack hands on that, I think we can look at the rest of this and say, man, God is good, and he does incredible things through really, really unimportant people just like me, <laughs> completely unimportant, but God chooses to use us. So I ask again, women, mothers, on this particular day, are you worth celebrating? I think God would say yes. So let me ask you a question. Um, why does Luke include this in his gospel? Think about this for a second. No other gospel really includes Mary's song. Why does Luke choose to use this in his gospel? I'll open it up to you. If, if any of you have an idea or an, a comment that you want to make, um, Bryce often says this is where we get to kind of speak as a church together. Why does Luke include this in his gospel, and why does no one else? Anyone have any incredible, enlightening thoughts or something that they want to add? Yeah. He's a doctor and he's a historian. Absolutely. Because God told him to. That's right. <laughs> Anyone else? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Luke was trying to find out what happened. <laughs> absolutely. 
Anyone else? A thought or comment? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great thought. Luke did have an outside perspective. Um, he does account for things that other people don't. Absolutely. Anyone else? His gospel emphasizes human relationships. Absolutely. Yeah, Luke specifically um, looks at women and kind of like outcasts in a way in which the other gospels do as well. But he, he's very specific at wanting to, to clearly define how God has used um, women and outcasts specifically to fulfill his, his mission to us. <clears throat> Absolutely. I, I, those are all incredible thoughts. And I think those are some of the thoughts that I was thinking about as I was thinking about this question of, when, why, why is this only in Luke's gospel? Like, the, this is Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. This would kind of be important. Um, when Luke does go in and, and interview people, Mary would have probably been 70 or 80 years old. That was pretty old for a woman at that, that day. We don't, maybe she was alive and this is a firsthand account. That's, that's a legit possibility. Um, when he finished this gospel, maybe she wasn't, and this was kind of a, a part of church history already. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thought. <clears throat> but I, regardless, Luke doesn't. And I think that that is important, that someone decided that what Mary had to say is, is incredibly important for the church to know. That Mary just wasn't some random woman. Uh, she didn't just give birth to Jesus and then walk away. Like, we know that she later on believed that Jesus was truly the Messiah. And like I said, as Protestants, we don't really talk about Mary that much. Um, but it's important to know that the early church did. I mean, this is, this is Mary. I want you to think about this for a second. She gave birth to Jesus. She, she knew that God was doing something incredible. Um, and then she didn't believe that Jesus was who he actually claimed to be. Like, guilt? You think there was any guilt on Mary's part? I mean, she literally watched as her son was crucified and killed as not only a rebel against the Roman government, but as someone who is a blasphemer claiming to be God. If you think you've quote-unquote parented the wrong way, do you ever think Mary thought like that? I can't imagine watching my son be crucified because the government thought he was a rebel and the religious people thought that he was a complete blasphemer. I mean, that's tough, (laughs) I guarantee there were thoughts running through Mary's mind of, did I do this the right way? Yet what we do know about Mary, we're going to dive into. And so if you want to look with me in Luke 1, verse 46, it says this, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God the Savior. This is often referred to as magnificent. Mary chooses to focus on the fact that God is the one 
who glory goes to. Mary doesn't think, wow, I'm going to fulfill God's plan. Therefore, I'm this incredible person now. <laughs> like, look at me. Help break apart God's plan of salvation. She simply says, man, God is great. God is doing something incredible. And I think that's so beautiful and perfect to understand. It's not that, man, what I do is, is phenomenal and incredible, but man, God chooses to use me, therefore God is incredible. Mary simply looks at what God is doing and says, God is good. And not just God is good, but man, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to redeem his people. Mary recognizes that man, she hasn't brought much to the table. <laughs> but what God brings to the table is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Then she goes on in verse 48. It says this, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Once again, not because of what Mary do has done, because of how God has, has chosen to use her. Mary recognizes, once again, that this is not about what she is doing. Her identity is not in her motherhood. Whew, that is tough. Because often this world calls us to find our identity in what we do, how we relate to our families, how we relate to this world, our jobs, whatever it may be. The world often calls us to do that, yet she recognizes her identity is what God has done for her. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations are going to call her blessed. And then it goes on and says, For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I mean, think about this. You're in a complicated scenario in which people are going to be wondering, why is this teenage girl pregnant? And she doesn't really have an explanation other than something great. I mean, if God chose to put me in this really precarious, sorry, um, <laughs> this difficult situation in which I don't really have an explanation and it's almost bringing shame upon me and my family, my first response would probably not be, God is good, give him glory. <laughs> you know? But Mary chooses to do that. Mary chooses to do that in this song. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. And then in verse 50, it goes on and it says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God's mercy is realized from generation to generation. Through the movement of of faithful women, loving their children and bringing forth new children. I mean, God literally fulfills his plan of salvation, not only then, but also now. It is so important, I think, for us to recognize and acknowledge that God uses us, his people, his family, to fulfill his promises of reaching the world. Are you pausing within your family to recognize and acknowledge this? Is it a part of your family identity, your family structure, 
to recognize and acknowledge that God uses families to bring about his purpose? Or is family just kind of a, this is so frustrating, my kids don't understand me, and hey, I'm there. (laughs) My kids frustrate me. I think Braven has literally been um, waking up between 12 and 4 a.m. for like the past two weeks. It's frustrating. (laughs) I wish he would just sleep. But that isn't a part of what Braven does. But is it a part of my, my family identity? Is it a part of how I value my family to be able to look at them and say, no, God is going to be a part of this. And no matter what we do or what happens to us, God is using us. Because I'm choosing, I'm literally choosing to wake up every day and exclaim the beginning of Mary's song, my soul glorifies the Lord. End of story. That is my choice every single day. That is what my wife and I have stacked hands on. That is what we are teaching our children is that our souls will glorify the Lord no matter what. Our son was just in the hospital. Um, we, we're thinking he's having seizures. We have no idea, though. It's, this long, it's going to be a probably year or two long, complicated scenario. Yeah, I know. Braven is not defined by that. And when we wake up and when we go to bed, we choose to sing the same song as Mary that our soul glorifies the Lord. That is why I was created. That is why each and every one of you were created, to give God glory. That your soul and who you are would give God glory so that the rest of the world could see the beauty of who Jesus is. And that is difficult. (laughs) But here's the thing, it was difficult for Mary as well. It was difficult for Zachariah. And he chose not to believe in it and his mouth was shut. (laughs) It was, chose for, it was difficult for Elizabeth to believe that, yet she chose to believe it. Later on, it and goes in, and it says this after um, this. It says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away. Y'all, this is like the gospel of Luke in Mary's song. Like, there is a reason Luke chose to use Mary's song. That's everything that Luke focuses on. That God exalts those who are humble, and he brings down the proud. I think often we think as a church, man, if, if we're just really good, or maybe if I'm, if I'm doing really good in my job, If people see me as this good person, I raise the perfect family, then I'll be happy. And that's just not true. Happiness cannot be rooted in what we do. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that we find enjoyment in what Christ has done on our behalf. And that does not include what we do. I think Luke includes this song because it it is a part of the way in which God sees this world and chooses to use it. That God exalts those who are humble and he casts down the proud. Man. In verse 54, it says, As he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And I think that this is so important um, because there are days in which it's really difficult. And I think two weekends ago, Bree and I had some really good plans. 
It was her 30th birthday, um, and she was in the hospital with Braven. I, I literally couldn't do anything about that. I was frustrated with God. This isn't my plan. <laughs> but here's the thing. God is still merciful. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. That God is still merciful despite the hardship we walk into in this world. God is still merciful to Mary even though things don't really make sense. God was merciful to Jesus as he walked through this world as people scattered from him and disbelieved him. God is merciful to us even when we don't obey. He is merciful because that is who he is. Even when it doesn't make sense, God is merciful from generation to generation. And that is difficult. And she finishes up with this. To Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And then it says this, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. At this point, Elizabeth was about nine months pregnant, about to give birth. But what I love about this is, man, Mary chooses to stay with Elizabeth. She chooses to stay with Elizabeth for three more months. I'm sure Mary had a lot of things that she could have done. I'm sure she had her house ready for a baby. I'm sure she had family to talk to. I mean, there's Joseph, who's obviously at home for three months without his wife. But I think what, what is so important to recognize about this is that Mary isn't hurried. She's not too busy to try and explore what God's will is for her life. She rests in the fact that this doesn't make sense, but God is doing something great. And I think that is so important right now. I think about so many of our lives, how we're consumed by whether it's social media, by our jobs, whatever it may be. I mean, we're constantly looking at our screens, scrolling endlessly for enjoyment, yet we're never really finding satisfaction. And I love what Mary does is she just rests in the fact that God is doing something mysterious, and I don't have it all figured out, but man, I, it's good. We're constantly sold by our materialistic world as things change from time and time again and things are changing at an increasingly rapid pace to find something new and new and new. Find a new TV show that you can stream or whatever it may be. Whatever is the newest and the best thing for us to find. And yet we're always sold something new because we never are actually satisfied what we have. That is so difficult to rest in the idea that God is doing something mysterious. And that does not include my hurrying around, my busyness, my anxiety, whatever it may be. God calls us to rest. Not only as, as a mom or a woman or as a husband or a child, but God invites us to rest in him because that's where our identities are. I want to challenge you with that today. To find rest in Jesus. 
We were created to find rest in him, and our souls will never find true rest unless it is in him. We were created to find rest in Jesus, and our hearts will always be restless until we find rest in him. The last thing, as I was kind of thinking about this, um, there's a few things. I want to go back to that question. Are you worth celebrating today? Not because of who you are as, as a, maybe a mother or a father, or whatever your identity is, but are you actually worth celebrating because of how God sees you and who he has created you to be? Are you worth celebrating? If our honest answer is not yes, are you finding rest in Jesus? Because until we find rest, that question is impossible to answer. The second thing is this. Um, as I think about this, discipleship, it, it has to first start with your family. If, if you are a mother or a father, discipleship has to start at home. It's so easy to think about, oh, I've got to go reach the world. I've got to hurry around. But much like Mary, who sits and rests, we can't leave our families to go do ministry while our families are a wreck. As you look at literally the evangelical church, we've, we've seen pastor after megachurch pastor after megachurch pastor after author after author after celebrity Christian literally crash and burn because they had the perfect ministry on the outside. I mean, they were literally reaching the world, yet their family was completely falling apart. And you know what happens? People see that after the fall, and we see the deconstruction of Christian faith happening in young people all around. It's happening day after day after day because our own personal lives have not found rest in Jesus. It's so easy to, and this is, this is hard to say because maybe it doesn't feel like it, but it, for me, as, as someone who literally does ministry for my job, it is so easy to go want to tell a kid about Jesus and yet not reconcile with my wife. It is so easy to do that. I will, do, I will go and reach a student at the middle school or high school any day. I love it. Yet having an honest conversation with my wife about the screwed up ways in which I've treated her, that's significantly more difficult. It is. And I think it's the same with us. It's easy to want to play worship or, or go do something for the Lord because that's a lot more exciting than it is from the day-to-day -day grind of, of loving your spouse well, or loving your parent well, or loving your neighbor well. Yet God calls us to love our families first. Do the gritty work. Do the hard work. Because no ministry will be, will be worth it unless we do that well. You know, I, I, rec I recently read this incredible book um, by Eric Meta X, I can't horrible last name. Um, but he, he read he wrote this great book, and it's called um, Seven Men Who Changed the World. And it's a lot about, it's mostly about Christian men who, who went on to change Christianity. And as he was researching that book, what he found was that behind almost all of those men were incredible 
women, incredible mothers who changed their lives. And so his next book he wrote was about seven incredible women. It was fascinating as I read it. There was a few women that really stuck out. There's the mother of the Wesley brothers, literally the Wesleyans who rode on horseback from town after town proclaiming the gospel, changing America, was their mom, Susan, who discipled them from a young age to love the Lord. Hannah Moore was um, a person in England who taught children how to read, who founded schools, who, who wrote pamphlets and booklets on um, not just Christianity, but moral ethics. And you know the, the people that she changed was John Newton and William Wilberforce, the two people who ended slavery. Behind them was an incredible faithful woman who convinced them that leaving the slave trade was worth it because of Christ. Corey Ten Boom, who literally helped rescue thousands and thousands of Jews. While she wasn't a mother, people wrote letter after letter of how she saved them and felt like a mother to them within concentration camps. Mother Teresa was never a mother, yet went on to found thousands of orphanages, rescued people, and changed men's lives to go out and proclaim the gospel. I think so many times we think about the incredible men of our faith, and I want you to know that as a mother, if that's where you're at, your work is so incredibly important. It was in Mary's life, and it will be for the rest of time until Jesus returns. God's plan for restoration you are included in that. I want to finish with this, um, with this thought. I was, I was thinking and praying, actually, this morning, and I was going through um, some of Ephesians. And if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, it's, it's a little weird sometimes because Paul, um, he talks about how we're included in the family of God what Christ has done with us through chapters 1 and 2, um, they're not broken up into chapters. They're a, they're a single thought. Um, and then in verses 3 through 4, he includes how we're incorporated into the family of Christ. And then it's weird. In, verses, in chapters 5, he, he talks about um, the Christian life and how families are supposed to, uh, are supposed to be in chapters 5 and 6. And then right after that, he talks about spiritual warfare. And I always wondered, man, why does he switch straight from children obey your parents, husband love your wives, wives love your husband? Why does he switch straight from that to arm yourself with the armor of God? And as I was thinking about that and praying about that, um, it kind of just came in my mind. The easiest way, literally the easiest way to destroy the Christian message is to destroy the Christian family. So Paul says, therefore, arm yourself, families. Husbands, love your wives. 
Wives, love your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because bitterness is so easy to destroy things. Being angry at someone and not forgiving is so easy at destroying a family. Thinking if they would just do this, then our our family would be okay. It's so easy to destroy a family. So therefore, Paul would say, arm yourselves with the armor of God. You know, wrapping up, you know, this this sermon idea of, of Mother's Day and who we are and how we relate to God in this world, what I would say is families are so important. So Paul says, arm, arm yourself, because Satan is literally looking to destroy your family. It's the easiest way to do anything. Destroy a family, and your message means nothing to this world. So what I would challenge you with is, therefore, go and reconcile yourselves to each other. Find rest in Jesus. Find rest in Christ's identity for you. Find rest in, my soul glorifies the Lord. Find rest and comfort in your families, in your children, in who you are and how you relate to your family. And never forget, never forget that Satan is prowling and looking for ways to divide us. It's who he is and it's what he does. So therefore, arm yourself. If you have um, a mom today, or if you are a mother, I would challenge you. I would challenge you. Celebrate her in any way that you know how. It's worth doing. It may be incredibly difficult, but today is an incredible time to reconcile or to celebrate. It was difficult for Mary. It was difficult for Jesus, and it has been difficult for the heroes of the faith, our faith um, forever. But we've chosen to follow Jesus, and that is not easy. So either reconcile or celebrate, because that is what Christ has called us to. Until we find rest in him, we can never say the, sing the song of Mary that my soul glorifies the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you, um, man, for the moms who have been so faithful in this church, the moms who have raised incredible people. I think about family after family. I think we, we laugh at the fact that the Tonys are leaving, but that's because we've seen their faithfulness. We've seen how a husband and wife can literally change people. They're an incredible example of your faithfulness and the fact that they can sit down and say, my, my soul glorifies the Lord. God, I pray that you would continue to reconcile your families in this church um, to you. That the heartbeat of our church would be families who can sing, my soul glorifies you. Because I'm willing to take the hard steps of reconciling, of not allowing bitterness to grow. Jesus, reveal to us your plan for our lives as we continue to faithfully follow you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.